This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Fox creeping forward. He pulls up. 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one, stakes twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nevania, Bielitsa. Yes, we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But for these 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I one problem though. I meant to join in the Queen's Pulse Podcast. This is I'm in the wrong place. Oh, the Queen's Pulse? Yeah, yeah. It won't be long, right? Same feed probably. Yeah, I don't know how much. Uh, I don't know how much I want to talk about it on, on the podcast, but, you know, I, I like to, to rib you in a good-natured way. I'm excited for you. Uh, I think your lady's coming out with a, uh, a podcast on our podcast, uh, <laughs> a, a critique of our podcast. Yeah. yeah. Your idea. Your idea. No promises. Was it? actually happens, by the way. I don't yeah. think this was my yes, idea. Yes, this was your idea. It was my idea to, like, <laughs> blow her up on Twitter and get everybody to tweet at her, but I don't think that this... The podcast on a podcast idea was my idea. I don't know. I think you said that it had to be Queen's Pulse with your girl and my girl. I titled I that it. was the idea. I did title it. Yeah, we'll have a yeah, we'll have a Queen's Pulse episode. We'll have a, uh, my wife and your future wife doing it together. <laughs> yeah, I still gotta uh, figure out what jersey I'm wearing. I just thought it was funny because I know you're like getting invested. Tonight was the opening night of the NFL season. I know you're like getting invested in the NFL for the first time, wanting to watch these NFL games. And I'm like, right when you're moving in with yeah. your girlfriend, that's the that's not a good time. <laughs> no, and you know, game one super boring, super boring. And I'm not about Patrick Mahomes. I just hate that everybody loves the guy. I can't do it. I mean, it doesn't help that he just knocked off the Niners. But Dude, I'll be honest with you, it's a wax sport. Yeah. Um, it's a really wax sport. Lots of repetitive head injuries and, you know. Well, why were there so many fans today? So many fans what? completely don't care about a pandemic. You know, uh, when the, the teams stand together in a show of American unity, they get booed. So Such bad. a classless league compared to so the NBA. Yeah, 
I I watched Niner games probably you know half of them regularly for you know maybe the last ten years. I'm not that old, so probably like five years, six years. Um, but yeah, last year was the first year going into it. I decided I was going to watch every Niner game. And that paid off pretty well. And I said I wanted to get into football a little more, mainly because, like, I got invited to a fantasy league. And it's probably just going to end up just watching the Niners games again. It's honestly a trash sport. I really don't like it. So, I don't I know. don't understand it. Like, I, I get what's going on, but I don't understand the strategy behind it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I think you could probably enjoy getting into that side of it over time. But I I don't think that there's... I don't know. I don't think it lends itself. Maybe it does. With the fantasy stuff, it does lend itself to kind of getting nerdy. But I don't know. There's less to to unpack for me personally. Yeah. And there's enough basketball to keep me entertained, to be honest. During the off season is actually one of my favorite times to like dive into basketball. Weirdly. Absolutely. It's the most. It feels like the most year-round sport. Maybe with soccer. But um, let me ask you that real quick before we dive into. Uh, full-time basketball talk here. Do you have a soccer team? Because I know the English Premier League starting that this weekend as well. <laughs> um, my soccer team is just somebody I picked in FIFA three years ago, four oh, years ago. I, honestly, you I was not even trying to set you up. I was honestly not even trying to set you up. So I, I, I've always loved FIFA. It's weird because like FIFA and NHL were two of my favorite games for a while, but I never watched either one of the sports, and NHL fell off, but like I just love playing FIFA. And I swear I picked Man City like four years ago. And the year after I picked them, they went off. And like I've probably watched one Premier League game. Ever. You know that that's not true, right? Like you you know that I know that that's not true. Well, you, you know, know that I like picked them in FIFA because like all right, so I had one friend specifically I played with, and he would play a busted team. I think it was Chelsea at the time that was super good. And I just like kept trying teams. So you chose a really good team. Yeah, I had to pick a good team. To, so like, don't so up. don't sit here and tell me that. Oh, they just got good suddenly after I chose them. Well, they Man were good. City, they were good, but they weren't like what they are now. Man City's been like really good. They're the, they've been the best team in the last decade. All right. Well, shows how much I know what I'm talking about. All right. They're also they're like the most questionable team in the Premier League in terms of human rights violations. Wow. So. Anyway, let's move on. Um, I, by the way, I'll just I'll, that was all a big way to shoe it, to shoehorn in that I've decided on a team after long deliberation and careful consideration. Um, no one cares, but I'm an Everson fan. Okay, I, you had to go for a small team, right? Of course. I yeah, like I like that they're the kind of they're the bad team in Liverpool. Like, so Liverpool's like the best team right now, and they're like the. The guys that suck in Liverpool. So Got it. all about them now. Very Kings vibe. So you you're watching a lot of soccer now because I know you got the Sac Republic going on, but you're going Premier League and everything. Yeah, I'm really into soccer now. You, you're going you're going American football. I'm going other football. I guess everywhere everyone else calls football. There's that documentary you've told me about that I really gotta watch. Sunderland till I die. Love it. Uh, really really good. Really really good like it you get into like board meetings and uh you see like you know player negotiations for transfers and you see like the inner workings of a franchise uh it's really cool i, I haven't seen a documentary that's like that much in the executive process um and speaking of executives we probably should cover a bit of gm 
news here? Yeah, um, I got to pull up the exact article here, but there were multiple names that were mentioned as candidates that Sacramento was looking to speak with for their GM opening. Um, I just put out an article on the King's Pulse, or I'm sorry, on King's Herald about um, Adam Simon from the Miami Heat. There is Sachin Gupta, I hope I'm saying that right, from the Timberwolves, uh, Calvin Booth from the Denver Nuggets, uh, Monty McNair from the Rockets, Wes Wilcox from the Atlanta Hawks. And, you know, just like we've done with Hinky and who was the other one we did? Uh, Scott Perry. Scott Perry, Who yeah. thankfully is not on this list. Right, right. Neither one of them. Um, we'll end up doing episodes on these guys probably. Um, I, I think that'd be, that'd be fun to do. I know at least one of these guys we kind of have in the works. And, yeah, I mean, just real quick, like, were there names that stood out to you? I think Simon was a popular one for sure. Yes, I think Simon and, and Gupta, but Simon we've talked about the Heat culture. We've talked about the Heat's player development. Um, he's someone we've talked about before this report. We may have floated Gupta. I know Jill Adge uh, has been talking about Gupta as well, although Simon's probably her preferred candidate there. I uh, don't want to speak for her, but I know she respects both of them. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just don't want to invest too much in this list because – we're already seeing like it took a day for uh, Trajan Landon to say, nah, I'm good. Um, I don't know. I just don't want to – I don't want to invest too much in this list until we hear reports about, like, uh, the next step of these interviews, I suppose. Yeah, it's right now it's nothing but worded as permission to speak with these candidates. Um, so, yeah, um, initial – I really only dove into Gupta and Simon, and right now I'm kind of Gupta 1 and Simon 2, Gupta being like a Maury Hinky guy that seems very trade-focused and outside-of-the-box thinking. Uh, just a lot of praise from those two guys came up in Houston for the most part. And then Simon, like you mentioned, the Heat culture and credited for a lot of their draft selections. I, I just – it's I dove into it in my piece, but I feel weird about – you know, kind of assuming – I think his draft selections were mainly guys that fit into the Heat culture. And how would that work in Sacramento, a team that doesn't have a culture? It's honestly really hard to figure out what GMs are responsible for what – or what executives are responsible for what. Um, you know what I mean? Like, if, if Gupta came up through the Mori – uh, lineage and worked with Hinky. It's like I don't even think that they would want anyone to know, you know, who was responsible for for what and like how to divide up credit for each move or or whatever. So it is difficult to navigate. Right. A lot of it's just going by you know quotes from other GMs. Like I think there was a really good piece on Hinky a while ago when he was still the Sixers GM and. There was just something along the lines of like him quote retweeting it and saying you need to mention Gupta and all of these because uh, every decision kind of gets run through him as well. And, yeah, it, a lot of it, like you're saying, it's hard to tell actually who was the primary leader of these things. But, like, for example, Gupta was 
given a lot of credit from what I've seen for the Sacramento-Philadelphia swap, the pick swaps and the Nick Stauskas trade and things like that. Uh, but, yeah, like you're saying, it's really hard to, to fully tell because I'm sure that the credit for that trade could also be given to Hinky and, you know, one or two other guys as well. Um, but, like I said, I think at some point in the future on this podcast, near future here, we'll dive into each one of those guys a little more specifically, their past and what they claim to be credited for. But today we are diving in back into our draft prospects. And we got two guards today with a big age gap between them. But we got Grant Riller from Charleston and Theo Maladon, uh, who is playing in the Euro League currently. Do you have one of the two that you want to start with here, Rich? I actually think we should probably kind of do them together. Um, because they play a similar position, and uh, I mean, there's not too much else that's similar about them. Some things are. I, I think they're probably both offensive uh, first point guards. Um, or off, I mean, they could work off ball as well, but. Uh, I think there's enough similar that I'd like to kind of walk through them together and, and see the points of contrast because there certainly are a lot of differences, but I think highlighting that as we go through it would be would be decent. How do you how do you feel about that? That's fine. They're they're pretty different, but positionally and role wise, they're probably going to be somewhat the same. So I, I see what you're saying here, um, and just to kind of lay out the the builds for each of these guys. For Grant Riller, I have 6'3", 190 pounds, and he is 23 years old currently. And Theo Maladon, I have, there was a little bit of a range for heights, uh, but the median of what I saw was 6'4", and 174 pounds, and currently 19 years old. Yeah, so this is where we should start with the differences. Obviously, you pointed out there, um, insane age gap. The the crazy, the crazy. Uh, I think I may actually mention it on the last podcast, but the craziest thing is that like Riller is older than Jamal Murray. Like he is old. Like Jamal Murray's been in this league. Jamal Murray is on a max contract now. Uh, are you – let's just start right there. How do you go about this? Like, are, how much are you going to be deducting from Riller as a prospect at 23 and three-quarters year old, years old? And, and, like, how much are you going to give credit to Teo Maladon, who's one of the youngest guys in the draft? Like, how do you how do you balance that out? How do you work that out in your head? This was hard because – it kind of depends on the team. If you're talking, you know, outside of the lottery, maybe mid-20s, a team that's a contender right now, like obviously Riddler being older is going to be a more immediate contributor. And if you're talking through his rookie contract and his first rookie scale deal, then you're going to have him through his whole prime, really. Um, It's probably safe to say as long as you can afford him once he reaches that rookie scale. So I think there is some value in that for a team that's contending right now. And interestingly, like, the guy that I thought of uh, with Riller a bit that came to my mind slightly watching the film was Lillard and thinking that Lillard spent four years in the draft. Lillard came out at 22 and, you know, still did a lot of improving. So 
like realizing that made me rethink it a little bit here. Riller is probably, I think, what he has a. I don't want to misspeak. Uh, he's almost 24, is what I'm getting at here. So yeah. he's definitely notably older than Lillard, but like Lillard was on the older side a little bit as well, and there was still some improving to be done, you know? Yeah, I wonder, like, even that oh, that almost two years, that like year and a half, like those are crucial, though. I, I mean, he's a, he's like over a year older than Obi Toppin, and Obi Toppin is someone that is like, really suffering a lot in in certainly in draft Twitter and maybe maybe among pros, like maybe among uh like experts as well. Because of, for this exact reason. And like going back to for instance the the Pokosevsky episode with P D Webb and and I know that you were on board with that analysis and have kind of adopted Pokosevsky in the lottery yourself. It's like I almost think you just I almost think you just straight up can't draft a player like Riller in a lottery. Um, I, and, and probably no one is suggesting that anyway, but just someone with his age, it's like, well, if, if we're talking about upside, and it might even extend out further, it might even extend like top 20 or even top 25, because if you're really going for upside with your first round picks, which obviously every draft pick to some degree is about upside, it's like there is – it's just super, super limited. Like, it's, he can't get that much better, right? He can't, but I think that there are some teams that you could be talking about in the early 20s that maybe aren't looking for that, like Philadelphia at 21, I think, for example, is like a really good landing spot for Riller or even, say, like Dallas at 18, something like that. I, I think there's teams that you could look at in the – you know, even late teens, early 20s that could interest have interest in Riller. And, and part of this is outing myself a little bit. I did really like what I saw from Riller. Um, do you want to kind of get into that with these guys now? Uh, obviously, so actually one other question I'll throw your way. Do you know, I, I didn't get the time to dive into this fully, why, why did Riller take four years? Because his numbers aren't that different from year three. The three-point percentage is nice. It's a jump, but, like, I, I struggled to figure out why that was. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll start by saying I don't know, but I, I do think that, uh, yeah, like, the points per game are exactly the same, so that's that's interesting. Uh, I, I First of all, yeah, obviously I don't know for sure, but I would think that at a mid-major you kind of need to continue to prove it. Um, no one is jumping at like a mid-major guy. Like I, I don't know that the yeah, man. I don't know. Like so, so like there's like Steph Curry is obviously someone that did it, and and you just mentioned Dame Lillard as well from a mid-major. But I don't know. I mean, unless they're like truly, truly dominant, I'm not sure he was dominant. You look at the, you know, you mentioned the three-point percentage, 32.9 last year probably was enough to think maybe maybe keep him uh keep him off some teams radar and then you also you know this could just be a this could have just been his decision i think a lot of guys that are you know through 3 years of college and and uh, at a smaller school are just like you know let me take this education let me graduate let me 
you know, especially if they're not getting any buzz as a first-round pick, but that's total speculation. Yeah, those are those are good ideas on, on potential reasons why, though. I, I see where you're coming from with both of those, especially the kind of needing to prove it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the stats that you saw from Riller in his senior year at Charleston, also important, you pointed out he played for a mid-major school. A lot of these guys we're talking about obviously paid for D1 schools um, and top D1 schools for a lot of the guys at the top of the lottery. But, yes, for Grant Riller's senior year at Charleston, I have 21.9 points, 3.9 assists, 5.1 rebounds, 1.6 steals, uh, 3.1 turnovers on 49% from the field, 36% from three, and 82% from the free throw line. And those splits are pretty close to his averages throughout the four years as well. Um, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, it's a, obviously Riddler was the guy on this Charleston team. And, I mean, he was an offensive engine for that team, really. Definitely. Crazy high usage in the mid-30s. Um, there was a nice breakdown of him, very nice breakdown of him by, who was this? Uh, I'm just gonna Zach Milner um, on the Stepien uh, that, like, kind of looked at guys that had had that high of usage, guards his size that had that high of usage. And the other, the other three names that have done it, are Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, and James Harden. Now, the way he lays this out, you know, you see that Riller is well on the bottom of them in terms of uh, BPM, but it just shows you, like, it's not it's not common for a really high usage guard to be super efficient. Sorry, just in to, to clarify, this also took into account um, a true shooting uh, cutoff. So, like, to be super efficient on super high usage, it, as a guard, it's not that common. Um, and yeah, I there's a there there are some big differences though for me to those guys. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit so I'm a little bit thrown because I'll just say first of all, I I like the other guy way more. I like Taylor Maladon way more than Grant Riller. So, like, I'm, like, just a little bit shook, and I'm trying to, like, catch up with I you. I did not see that coming. Really? Yeah. Riller. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may still be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contact list delivery drop-off setting. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees with their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download DoorDash in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Here's 
here's the one thing that jumps out to me, like, because you brought up the Lillard comp, and I'm, like, fully shook from that. Uh, here's the one thing that really stood out to me between the two of them. Grant Riller, he's listed at, as 6'3", um, and I don't think either of us could find a wingspan, right? Yeah, I couldn't find anything. And, by the way, the Lillard comp was, like, it was a somewhat similar style, and I was mainly looking at the age. Yeah, and, I mean, to be fair, like, uh, Milner here has this comp as well, like, in, not in so many words, but it's, you know, he has them grouped together as, as players that have done similar things in terms of accomplishments. So, wingspan-wise, though, 6'3 for Riller, I mean, sorry, uh, height 6'3 for Riller, what do you think of his wingspan, just looking at it? I mean, it definitely wasn't, like, some impressive plus wingspan. It's not. I don't think it's good. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. He's, there's no combine, so maybe just being from a mid-major, they just don't have that information out there, possibly, and maybe it's decent or average, but it doesn't feel good to me. Like, he seems like a relatively short-armed guy. Um, one thing I'll point out, like Lillard, 6'2", 6'8", wingspan. Wow, I had no clue. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of a lot of what lets him get it done at that next level because, you know, being 6'3", and if you do, in fact, have a smaller wingspan, it's going to get a lot harder to finish in the NBA. Um, And Riller was an incredible... Finisher, I think he, like, you know, I think he was damn near, like, 70% around the basket. He's very acrobatic, uh, has a fantastic handle, very tricky handle, um, you know, strings together, you know, has you know hesitations, in and out dribbles, like, all types of different moves, right? Like, he's got a lot of sauce, uh, and he can get to the basket, and he finishes once he gets there. So, I don't know. Maybe he can defy what my concerns there but but I mean how do you see a player his size from a mid-major translating so this is hard and this has been hard for me all year is how did these guys from not top NCAA schools translate like we mentioned it with Poku with Killian uh, we'll probably talk about it with Theo a little bit and yeah I, I'm honestly still not sure on this I think that Riller, at very least, is like a backup scoring point guard, which, you know, is debatable value, but it, it was insanely impressive to me how he really did it at all three levels. Like, And like you said, he's, he's shifty with it. He creates space for himself. I didn't feel like he was doing too much that often, considering, like, the usage that he had. So... Yeah, a lot of it was, you know, being able to be a good uh, pull-up shooter off the dribble with, you know, okay numbers there, but then the impressive free throw percentage of 82% um, on a good amount of attempts, I'll say 214 attempts on the year, and then also um, good catch-and-shoot numbers as well. Uh, that actually I don't have in front of me right now. Um, 96th percentile of spot-up play types on Synergy. And, yeah, and that paired with, like you had mentioned, being in the 88th percentile around the basket, finishing, like, through contact with both hands. And, 
And then I also, or, or well, let, let me get your impression on, on his scoring here. And then also, you know, obviously there is that asterisk of not playing against as good of competition, but like, and, and it's a big asterisk, but I, I don't know. Like, I think that he's got a decent first step to him. And yeah, the finishing through contact was something that I felt like would would really bode well for him, and I think he's going to be able to create some space. Yeah, I think he's a. I think he's got an incredible first step. I actually think he's like super high quality, quick twitch type of athlete. Um, yeah, I I do think all of these percentiles, uh, you know, like synergy wise, probably knock them down a few spots in your head thinking about them because he's doing this against lower competition and he's doing it like as like a guy who's probably a couple of years older than most of his competition. Um, what's interesting to me is where he did struggle. First of all, let me just mention not very good in transition. And I wonder if that speaks to the, the size. And even though he's a quick twitch guy, I don't think he's like a super athlete. Um, in terms of, like, you know, uh, full, like, going full speed, like, when he reaches top speed, right? Not top speed mm-hmm. guy, but definitely a, an acceleration guy. Um, what is, like, the the transition 44th percentile against uh, that competition? Does that, like, raise any red flags? That's in transition. Yeah. That's a big sample. Yeah. It, it does. Um, I think that a lot of him is, is half-court, though. Uh, like you said, I mean, the top-line speed isn't great. He doesn't have a great bounce to him either. Like, you know, that's another part of, like, the Lillard comp. Lillard quietly, like, you know, slam-dunk contest at one point in his career. Like, Riller is not getting up like that. So it also probably doesn't do great for him in transition. But, yeah, I think that he's really more of a, a half-court guy there. Um there, it, that is concerning, and I hadn't quite noted that. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, you're really looking at Riller as a guy that um, is most valuable in a half court setting. And, and I actually think that he can do it off the ball as well. I think he showed some nice catching and you know quick attacking. And while his assists weren't really there, I, I was torn on this because there were some like really nice flashes. Of um of overhead passes and and uh, skip passes, drop off passes. So there were interesting passes mixed in there. So I was a little torn there. But I think that you know in a in a limited role where say that you know on, on a, again to like Philadelphia for example, where Simmons is the guy that really can push it in transition. And if you get to a half court and you need somebody to kind of get you a bucket. Um, uh, a comp I saw that was interesting to me was, like, a current D-Rose. Um, I don't know if I like that. Um, like, Rose was like Like, what D-Rose is now. He, oh. Oh, okay. I thought you meant, like, this year's... No, 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 no. Definitely not. Okay. That, that's way too much. Oh, okay, I mean, okay. like, what D-Rose kind of has been for what, the last, like, three years of his career. Yeah, that's actually not, intri- like, a post-knee uh, surgery, like... Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I mean, honestly, like, Lillard, minus four inches of wingspan, maybe five, and, uh, like, minus all of his athleticism, like, that's not bad. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fine. Like an old, broken D-Rose. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and, you know, I think that there, like, is somewhat of an intriguing ceiling. Like, I think that, you know, if he got to a point where he got comfortable at the NBA level of being uh, of being able to create space and, you know, got used to the physicality of that league, that he could be a, God, like, ceiling like 15 16 point game guy in the league sort of thing you know um yeah I guess so do I mean do you think that he's gonna like be a starter and not a microwave scorer because like D Rose kind of is he's like on that line and I could see Riller getting on that line as well but would you prefer like ultimately that guy is still better as like a six man right I, I think he's more than likely a six man, but you know I think part of this obviously is the floor is pretty high for Rilla, or I feel confident that he's going to be a you know top uh, upper tier six man in the league probably in regards to point guards that you're talking about, and yeah I, I think that I think he could be a starter in the league. I, I think that I, I actually think that he could be a pretty good option. Um, on offense, if we're talking like ceiling of Riller, I think he could end up as a starting guy. But more likely than not, I probably would lean towards like a upper tier bench guy. Tell me more about the passing because this was my primary concern on offense. Um, I think that it's hard to, you know, I, you you said like you see flashes, but like literally every like literally everyone has flashes. Like literally, you can look up like local high school basketball players that have a highlight reel that contains flashes. Um, it's the it's the bad stuff that I think is probably more important. Right. And, and you know, that's fair. Um, I, I think that, hmm, like, I, I think running a pick and roll was where he was interesting mainly, and that's primarily what I, you know, he did at Charleston. But, like, like I said, I thought that, you know, the – yeah, I don't know. It's hard because I am just going to end up going back to the flashes that I saw. And I, I'm kind of thinking that in a smaller usage role that he won't force as many passes, which was some of the, the poor ones that I saw in, in the turnovers that were there as well. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's mainly what it is for me is that these, these flashes and – you know, maybe I'm I'm putting into much into that, like you're saying, but yeah, I, it was a good variety of them. Where you know, at times I felt like he was even being a little manipulative. He was skipping a pass um, when he saw the defense cheating a little bit, and yeah, just a variety of of those flashes that I saw gave me a little bit of of confidence there. I don't think like it's I, that's the swing to me on if he's a starter or not. I straight up do not see him as a starter. I, I think the passing is a significant problem. There are – he's an electric scorer. He's an electric ISO scorer in particular. Um, yeah, he's really good on his pick-and-roll possessions, but generally they end with him taking the shot. You know, and, like, he's – I guess he can be functional at times, but – there were plenty, like just as many bad mistakes in the pick and roll as I saw brilliant 
plays. Um, once once he was passing, right? Because when he is when he keeps it, he's great. Um, but yeah, I, do, I just don't see him as being a starter one because I don't think he's got the passing to start as a point guard in the league and be a primary playmaker, and two because I don't think he has the size to play the two. So maybe there's a situation where like I think there's a lot of wing initiators. Yeah, I mean, there's a few, but you, like, I was going to say this, like, maybe he's in a situation like um, like when Jalen Brunson, like, fell into a starting role briefly, but I don't think it lasts. Um, it, like, he, I don't think he can reach, like, a Jamal Murray level where you get, you know, you put him in a situation where he's got an elite passing big man, but like, like I mentioned, like, Jamal Murray is younger than Grant Riller, so, like, I certainly don't see that as his feeling, you know what I mean? Yeah, I see where you're coming from here. Uh, a guy that, you know, probably just been watching him a lot recently, like, what do you think of, like, a Goran Dragic sort of thing? I just, I think that that's, I don't know. I mean, you're comparing him to, like, a really, like, seasoned veteran. Right. Um. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it's tough. I think it's a tough look to keep comparing him to guys that are, like, in their 30s. I just don't think that's that like I think that is a poor indicator. Um I was just thinking of another player that like and now I've lost it, but just a point guard that is not asked to like like you you know, you mentioned Philadelphia and that's I think that's a fine situation because you have like a Ben Simmons there. Um I mean, yeah, you could you could he could end up starting like on a team with Luka Doncic or Ben Simmons or Nikola Jokic, Utah before they had Conley maybe. I don't even think that like because here and here's the transition that I was looking for. I don't think he could start for Utah because his defense is a real real problem. Yeah, it, it's not good. I think he's a negative there. Um, I think that from the sound of it, you're probably a little lower than I am. Um, I do think he's a negative, but, like, there were moments where I, I think he's going to be, like, for example, like Kemba Walker, where he's a negative on defense, but occasionally there's, like, oh, wow, that was really good lateral movement from him, or he's going to draw a charge or two a game um, uh, enough that, like, if his offense is truly, you know, 13, 14, 15 points a game, that I don't think that his defense will be the reason that he has to sit. I think it definitely will be. I think he's and it's also only point guards, clearly. No, I, I think he definitely will be. I, I do not see like I nah man. I, I don't know. I, I I think he's a genuinely bad defender. Um maybe not a disaster, but like I think if we're gonna sit here and be like Obi Toppin is such a disaster on defense that he'll never be able to start an NBA game. It's like, no, I, I think like Riller has just as many problems defensively. Yeah, I, I just thought that there were – and the flashes for defense, I feel like, are more reasonable because, you know, he, he it's the classic, like, like you said, 30-plus percent usage where – how much effort are you really going to be able to give on the defensive end? He's not going to have that usage in the NBA, obviously. So I would think that he'd be able to use more of that, like what I thought was actually pretty good lateral quickness. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I think he's a negative. I think he's a negative. I just don't think he's absolutely terrible. 
So, all right. We, I mean, we totally got away from doing Teo and him together. I wanted to do them together, but I, I see you getting really high on Riller, and I'm trying to attack that. Uh, so we're going to obviously do them separately at this point. Uh, where do you come down on him? Uh, I and I just so here's I was high on him um, when I did my first look at him I was pretty high on him and I I looked a little deeper and I'm starting to come around to uh, you know I told it, when we did when we did our top fifteen on the big board I, I explained how I like equally valued my ceiling and floor grades and then afterwards after I gave my whole top fifteen. I texted you, and I'm like, you know, I had to really rethink this, especially after listening to that Poku episode and thinking on, thinking on the the concept of um, ceiling and what it means in a draft and, and how important it is that, it, it you know, at, at the end of the day, what you could be is more important than what you are in the NBA draft. And Riller has a really low ceiling compared to most of these guys. He is basically 24. Um, he is not a plus defender. He is small. His length is not going to be a positive for him. Um, so at the end of the day, like I don't, if you're arguing for Poku, who is this youngest guy in the draft, super raw, from a different country, we have no idea the competition he played against. And like I don't see how you can also be Pro-Riller. Well, it just, again, it depends what team you're talking about here. And I think that there's very few, like, safe guys in this draft, too. And I actually do think that, like, you're probably underselling the upside of Riller a bit here. Like, I think that if he actually can become a a passer at the next level in, in just a, you know, average uh, capacity – that and again that if if there is you know things that need to work out but I think that there is a real ceiling for him here and, and again like obviously that age is a concern but you know I, I think a couple years of NBA experience no matter your age it, until you you know reach 27 sort of thing which I guess isn't going to take that long for Riller um it is going to likely improve your game um so, but it won't improve as much as a – so let's talk about this, right? Let's get back to the contrast. Teo Maladon, he is four years younger, right? Like – or more. I mean, let's talk about this. Like, Maladon can spend four years in the NBA and be the same age as, as Riller. Right. So so if it's a, okay. if it's a, if it's a, if it's a question of ceiling and upside – I mean, yeah, he is four years, three. Uh, well, but say you four get a guy for seven, eight years of his career. Well, that's not how it works, though. Like that—that's not how it works in the NBA draft. We're evaluating them first of all as prospects, and there's no like when you were going to draft Aaron Fox, did you say like, well, we're only getting him for four years and then an, a restricted free agent? No, you're drafting them for what they're going to be in their career. Right. So, <laughs> you're going to hate this question. I'm clearly lower on Cole Anthony than you, and I'm clearly higher on Grant Riller. Tell me the main differences between these two guys without the age. Uh, Cole's been doing it on a much higher level for a much longer time. 
like in terms of competition. Yeah, that's fair. I yeah, it's just okay. I, I get that. Um, hmm. yeah, I guess I, I just. I don't know. I think that it, it is translatable for Riddler. Again, I'm not crazy on him here. I probably have him about 17. It's like late teens. I don't have him exactly pinned here. Um, late teens, early 20s for Riddler. Um, so I, I'm not crazy on him here. I, I just think that, you know, especially when you're talking, again, looking at a, a, a Dallas, a Philadelphia, I do think like, Utah, Milwaukee, like I think that there's teams in the early 20s that could be interested in in Riller that I do think, you know, could have a couple years of improvement coming to him in the NBA and, and would be able to lock him up pretty safely for most of his prime. Yeah, and like does it, does it bother you that his prime is that short? Like by the end of his four-year deal, he will be, yeah, like almost 28. So yeah, he'll be, no, he'll be, yeah, he'll be almost 28. I'm just really? saying, like, like I, I think that you, you've been preaching upside and you've been pre- preaching right. potential. Well, you, for Sacramento, you, you agree, for sure. I'm not just for Sacramento, like as as a as a big board. Tool. So, so yes, at the top of the lottery, like you know, top ten sort of thing. So yes, at the top of the lottery, like you need to prioritize upside. And I don't so think there's like here, a top top guy. Here's a team that we can talk about. As a perfect, a perfect like middle point, Orlando. They have been in the playoffs the last couple of years. They probably don't need a superstar necessarily with pick fifteen, um, but they could use upside, and they could also use readiness. I mean, do you prefer? And they could definitely use a point guard. Do you prefer Riller or Maladon? And we'll get into we'll get into the specifics of Maladon in one second. But when you're looking at okay. This team is like they're a few pieces away. They're not Milwaukee, who might have problems now, but you know they're they're not. Uh, I mean, even the Sixers have problems right now, but they're not Dallas. They don't like just need a guy that can, you know, that you know what he's going to be. Um, they do have some growing to do. A lot of young pieces, but they need a point guard, and they do need a point guard of the future. But they also kind of need a point guard of today, like. Balancing these two out, or you're like, you know, what are your thoughts on Maladon versus Riller? Say that they, for whatever reason, those were their choices. Like, say Kira is off right. the board, say, you know, uh, whatever, Cole's off the board, you know, other point guard options. Yeah, because I, I do like most of those other guys better. Um, it's, it's probably Riller. Um, yeah, I, I think it's Riller. Like, Orlando desperately needs some offense, and you know, I think that Riller is like, I think he's a a low level. I'm I'm really trying to fight saying engine here because engine's not the right word, but like you can completely, you can run a good, you know, what thirty percent of your possessions maybe through Riller, and and I think it could be interesting. You know, I I think that they're isn't upside there as a passer if he figures that out. I trust his his finishing and I think his space creation. I think he's able to play off the ball on offense. I, I'm probably going Riller there, and it's because Maladon is 
interesting to me. Um, I, so I, I'm super surprised that you liked Maladon because Maladon screamed like just kind of good at everything but not great at anything. And I feel like you hate those type of guys. Yeah, well, it's a different story. So it's a different story when you're 18, right? Because because if you're if you're good at everything but not great at anything, and you're 18, and we're looking at you like in potentially like the 20s of the draft, you could eventually be great at everything, or at least great at a few things and good at everything else. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, you know, I will say, like, Maladon's passing for sure better than Wheeler. I thought Maladon had really interesting passing. And and I like his patience, like, probably the lazy comp, but obviously, like, is mentored by Tony Parker. And I think that you see shades of that where he has this, like, patience to his game of running pick and roll, keep guys on his back. He doesn't seem rushed at any point. Um, so... It interests me, you know, and, and breaking the rotation pretty regularly for a EuroLeague team is is impressive. And and then also, yeah, for, for his length, I think we said it a little bit, 6'4", 174. I have a 6'8 and a half wingspan, um, which could be useful for him on that end. And the basic numbers I had for his most recent year, 7.4 points, 3.1 assists, 1.8 rebounds on – 45% from the field, 36% from three, and 68% from the free throw line. Yeah, so, sorry, I just got a, a couple last things on Rillard because I was, like, frantically looking stuff up while you were talking just to just to get out of, just get out of here on Rillard. Um, first of all, I, just want to say, I was just looking, <laughs> looking up some profiles here. Um, just to, I know I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bad job podcasting, getting way back into what we were discussing earlier, but I looked up Damian Lillard, his synergy profile. Holy, sh- holy hell, man! That like I was just trying to compare because I know that's the like one of the comps. He is absolutely he was absolutely insane. Like everything was like high nineties. Um, but the one that I just looked up that I wanted to look up because we're talking about Riller to Orlando. You know who Riller? You know who's a good comp for for Grant Riller? And you're probably not gonna like this. It's DJ Augustine. <laughs> yeah, man. Actually, see it. Interesting. Even in the balding, slightly balding hairline. <laughs> That's interesting. And you don't draft a DJ Augustine 15, right? Where the Magic are right now, right? And Augustine's a little smaller. Like he was legit smaller. But I just to give a little bit of his profile here: 81st percentile pick and roll ball handler. Uh, 85th percent spot up, 93 percent off screen, 87 percent off cut, a little lower in ISO, you know, 66 percent, but like still very functional on a high level of possessions, 114. Not an ISO guy in the NBA, but um, you know, 50 percent in transition, like that's similar to uh where Riller is. So like that, and and consider he played for University of of Texas, um, so much well. You know, they, they're not a powerhouse of basketball, but a higher, not a mid-major. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, you know, like, I think Terry Rozier almost comes to mind, who's really just a microwave bench scorer. Rozier was, like, crazy inefficient, though, and I think that's part of where I am with Riller, that I think he'll be a pretty efficient guy. Um, yeah, Augustine is an interesting comp, but I, I – 
think that that's kind of like a floor for Riller. Like, you know, probably not absolute floor, but like I think that's a low medium, low median outcome sort of thing for Riller. I, I could see that as his median outcome. Like, like uh, DJ Augustin with like the potential to cook a little more, but but I don't see it being much higher than that. So I just straight up don't see him as a ceiling guy. Anyway, done with Riller. Uh, we definitely differ there. Although, as far as where we put him on our big boards, maybe not crazy far off. I just think Maldon is far more interesting, and I think it's because I'm coming around to upside a lot more. I'm abandoning uh, abandoning uh, my valuation of of the importance of a floor on a first round draft pick because I don't know, like, because things can still go wrong. Like, and if it goes wrong, okay, like it's, that's always going to be a possibility for every first round pick. You know, we've seen, you know, number one overall picks bust, like it can happen and there's no really avoiding that, but you can take big swings and Maladon would be a big swing. Um, You know, you mentioned the height six, four, I think he looks a little bit taller than that. I just just watching these two guys play, Maladon, and I think you'll agree, he looks a lot taller. And sometimes that can be an illusion based on uh, your frame and your skinniness. Like he's he is skinnier as well, uh, but the length is crazy on Maladon. Like he is what you said six, eight and a half wingspan. I wouldn't be shocked if it was a little – I mean, he is growing. He is probably still growing, probably will continue to grow. He's very young. Um, and you talked about uh, – you said you found some, like, over-the-top passes from Miller you liked. Basically everything I saw from Maladon was nice over-the-top passes because he is so long that he can kind of just get those. That was probably my favorite part of Maladon. Um, I, I think his passing was – Super impressive, and, and again, that he didn't get too rushed when he was working in a pick and roll. Um, there was decent finishing to him as well, and and to kind of touch on the whole like uh, ceiling versus floor guy sort of thing, I, I would have these guys probably in the same tier. And again, it just really comes down to which team you're picking for. Um, I, I, you know, again, like the Orlando thing, I, I'd kind of flip flop between the two, but but yeah, to focus on Maladon, I think that. Like you mentioned, the passing was was very impressive from him, especially you know being at such a young age in in a uh, a really impressive league as well. He had 3.1 assists over 17 minutes a game, and also just shy of uh, two turnovers there as well. And, and again, yeah, I think that you know you need if you're going to run a pick and roll and have some impressive passing, you've got to be able to score as well and. The primary way that I saw him do that that I really liked was was finishing around the rim. I thought he had a nice floater to him. Uh, he was primarily right-handed, but there was some okay left. But 84th percentile was what I saw around the rim, 62%. Um, I, it was pretty impressive there, too. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. 
plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. How would, you know, this isn't something that we're both going to struggle with for a while and maybe forever, even if we really focus on the draft for years and years. How do you, like, equate these leagues where he was playing in the EuroLeague quite a bit, but also in the top French league, um, certainly among men, but not NBA men, um, and then Riller is playing in a mid-major in college? You know, how are you doing that math? I think it's a better, I mean, it's a better league that Maladon's playing in. Uh, I'm pretty, feel pretty good saying about that. You know, a EuroLeague team and a team that's trying to win right now, and that's why he's not given uh, a crazy amount of minutes or anything, even though he was one of the best young guys in that league. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the competition level that you're dealing with in the EuroLeague of, Older guys, you know, maybe some of them been NBA guys, um, and yeah, just just pros already. I, I think does bode well for Maladon, and and also yeah, being able to you know have some of these stronger guys on your back and get them in jail on the pick and roll and things like that is it, it's impressive. Like the the talent level for Maladon is clearly higher that he's dealing with than really. Yep, definitely agree. Um, I'd say more obviously in the EuroLeague versus the French League, but um, a lot of the stats are like combined. So they'll, they'll combine the EuroLeague stats and just the French League stats. Um, and the, and the, the French League's not like bad or anything. It's it's better than, I don't even know what conference uh, Charleston is in, quite honestly, in the NCAA. But yeah, I this is something that kind of, stood out to me it, just watching Maladon and watching uh, – so you mentioned I'm getting into soccer. I heard an interview with a uh, a player that uh, has played in the United States leagues and he's played in uh, Mexican leagues So and, and other international leagues as well, but Southern American leagues. And he said that the biggest difference, so that, you know, everyone wants to know, like, why is America not good at soccer? And he said, like, the thing to him was that America spends so much time on uh, physicality, on physical fitness. It is, like, the whole thing is, like, conditioning, um, getting strong, and but the time that that equal time is spent in other leagues on ball skills, it's all about your skill and the way you manipulate and use the ball. Um, and I think that that is is a good analogy for what we see in European players versus American players. Everyone in America uh, at high levels is like jacked. Uh, they're like super well conditioned. They're super strong. They're physically elite, but, you know, maybe they get shown up sometimes by the high technical skill of a Killian Hayes 
of uh, Luka Doncic, of uh, like Nikola Jokic. Jokic comes over and he is like, you know, fat and flabby, but he is schooling people. Uh, Luka comes over soft bodied, but he is just so much more skilled with the ball and his ability to manipulate the ball and, and do, and, you know, really like, yeah, he's not going to take you off of his strength, but he's going to take you off of his, his mental skill and his high technical understanding of the game. Yeah. Rubio. Yeah. Um, so like Maladon, you look at him and he's like, okay, he's really skinny. He's going to need time to develop there. But I do, I just wonder like, they probably don't care. They're like not training him for that. They're training him to be uh, like on reads and they're training him to be like a super high level passer. He's not being asked to do anything that Riller is asked to do. He's not being asked to create an isolation whatsoever. We got guys that have been playing in this league 10 years that we can do that. You know, that, that'll do that for us. Your job is to like make the right read, come in, um, play good team basketball, pass and relocate. Um, play smart basketball. Um, so I think like he could really come along in terms of physical conditioning and in terms of um, you know ISO scoring. See, so the ISO scoring, I guess, is where I hesitate a bit because, well, first of all, I really agree with you. I think that you know there was a pod that Adam and I did for a while. We were interviewing a lot of guys that for example, weren't drafted and then giving G League spots and would end up going overseas. Every single one of them said that when they got over there, just the IQ level of the players in, for example, EuroLeague, France, things like that, are just insane. And yeah, it's all mainly focused around athleticism in the U.S. And, you know, obviously the most ideal thing would be to get a combination of the two. And Maladon clearly right now is an IQ guy. Um, but I think that, you know, part of it of why that he is sitting, you know, late teens sort of thing, um, is that I think that you're stealing, and there is outlier cases in the NBA now, like you mentioned, like a Doncic sort of thing, but I think that your ceiling is limited a little bit if you do lack that athleticism. Like, I don't think that he has a great first step. I think that he... I will say, like, he has long strides, and he's tall, so that does a good little bit for him in getting past people. But he's not explosive, really. He's not strong. So I I think that that's where I felt a little limited on his ceiling. And while he's young and has, like, plenty of years to, you know, maybe take an athletic jump or, you know, there's, there's multiple areas or he has a lot of time to improve in various areas, I just didn't see a clear, like, swing factor where if this goes right for him and maybe it's the athleticism actually but I, I didn't I didn't see a clear swing factor where it's like okay this is how this guy becomes like a average above average level starter in the NBA right uh, I mean I agree with that part of it I don't really see him being an above average starter in the NBA but I don't see that for Riller either um, so just right, getting back fair. to this con- this conversation and there's so there's two there's two other prospects we've, we've d- dove into before that I want to compare to Maladon. One, so, okay, I've told you that about my spreadsheet, my insane person spreadsheet, where, like, I evaluate every player in terms of a bunch of different skills, speed, strength, uh, you know, leaping, 
handle, passing, finishing, shooting, defensive stuff. It's like a whole bunch of different stuff, right? Um, I found that, and this didn't occur to me until afterwards, I had him, like, basically either equal to or just one step down from Killian Hayes in pretty much every category with the, you know, perhaps the exception of frame because Hayes is a lot kind of meatier. Um, but, in, like, first of all, let me say, so I, t- I told you about two prospects I want to compare it to, but could he be Killian Hayes light? I don't, I, I don't see the self-creation in regards to shooting off the dribble and creating space for himself that way. Mm, I mean, it's tough because, like, I don't know that either of them are even really asked to do it that much, but, like, Hayes isn't, like, a big scorer. He's definitely a, a playmaker. He is, but, like, I think that, you know, I, I think of the step back for Hayes, for sure, where he is able to create space that way or, or say, a quick crossover into, like, a sidestep sort of move and pull up off the dribble, and he wasn't the most efficient at it at the moment, but I think that, you know, that's kind of why there is that upside to him. I think, like, that's an extremely valuable skill in the NBA, and I just don't really buy that being there for Maladon. Uh, I mean, that's fair. That's a good answer and a good a good point, and maybe the point where they're most separated. But I see, I, I mean, I see Maldon as having a solid handle. Um, it's definitely a solid shooter, um, a good shooter. Um, yeah, like I mean, I I don't think he's gonna be ever like working a lot in ISO. He's cert- well, he might. I mean, he might be though. He just is definitely was not asked to do that uh, for his team. Right. Um, and, like, I think probably with Hayes, they were focusing on him a little bit more. He's still not – he still wasn't asked to do it that much. But, like, generally, as the kid amongst men in Europe, you're kind of asked to set up other players. So, I don't know. I, I don't see, like, a – I mean, I'm saying Killian Hayes light, like as in yeah. you take Killian Hayes and you step everything down a little bit. Um, here's another guy, Tyrese Halliburton. Compare like his frame to Maladon, and like where, like if we're talking about you're worried he could be too small or too slight. I mean, he's got that frame, right? Yeah, I'm not too worried about the size of him. I think I was more worried about like the athleticism when you're talking the ceiling. Um, but but is he much yeah, like a worse I, athlete than Halliburton? No, probably not. But like Halliburton's a ridiculous passer in this draft, and like, well, I think Maladon's good. I, I don't think it's like the level of of Halliburton that we're talking about here. You know, my point is that I I don't see them as him. I'm not putting like I have both of those guys top eight. Yeah, I'm not putting Maladon top eight. I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean where they're comparable, like a tier down for Maladon here. Yeah, I just I see a lot of promise here. He is he is super young. He's you know so okay. closer to, closer to eighteen than nineteen. He is got he's got great size for his position. Um, in terms of height and wingspan, and I really believe, based on our conversation on fitness and athleticism, that in the NBA he will be built up. Um, I think he is. I don't think he has really a true weakness. His defense isn't great. I think that's, that's what I wanted of, to ask about. I think that's the other major difference between those two guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I think this is more of a 
these are more offensive comps. I think the defense is weak. I don't know that, like, in time he can't be a solid defender, though, considering that, like, 6'9 wingspan. Right. It's really the length that does it. And the fact that he's an IQ guy on the offensive end, I think there were moments of that on defense. And just being a smart player. And also he was, you know, it's hard to account this in our rankings, but, like, from all accounts, an insanely hard worker. And I think that, you know, NBA teams will obviously get a better peek at that, but that's got to count for something here. And, like, for example, like you're saying, if you have some of the tools, I don't think lateral quickness was great. Like, I think it's more likely that he is able to have a bit more of an impact probably off the ball. Um, And, yeah, like, quicker ones are going to be a problem for him because I think his lateral quickness isn't great. Um, So, yeah, I think that he could – I think he could be a – average defender though like a little slight plus sort of thing so one of the paths that I think that he could take to being better than Riller and there are probably a lot of paths considering the age but one of the paths the most obvious path probably involves being a shooting guard or I mean he's obviously a combo Mm -hmm. Um, you look at the size you look at the skills the off ball he has really quality off ball skills for a guy that could be a point guard Um, the off-ball intelligence, like moving away from the ball, uh, passing and relocating is incredible for him, I think. like, And that's just a function of the high IQ. Um, and when you think about his frame, that is like – or his size, rather. That's like standard shooting guard size. 6'4", 6'8 6'9 wingspan. That's like legit, maybe even plus uh, shooting guard size. And when you consider the off-ball intelligence, I could see Riller ending up kind of being like a subpar starting option at at point guard, but I could see Maladon developing into either like a a passable, uh, kind of maybe more average, like 20th best, 25th best shooting guard in the league with some potential to move to point guard here and there. Um, What do you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think that Maladon clearly has more versatility to him. Um, Yeah, and that does lead to more, you know, potential starting openings for him throughout the league. So I'm on on board with you there. Um, Yeah, I I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, um, the defense is going to have to improve, but I also wonder, again, like I just don't know. I don't know how much of it is – He's playing grown men uh, in a different country, so I, it's. I mean, I could just see him kind of getting getting worked by those types of guys, and then he comes over here, and then the he increases his fitness and his athleticism improves, and with age he continues to grow. I don't know. I at the end of the day, me kind of fighting you on this is probably unnecessary as as it always is, but because I think we probably have them relatively close to each other, but you just have Riller higher and I have Maladon higher, but ultimately we're probably like only a couple spots off anyway. Right. I'm going to have to think through this Dallas question because I think that is kind of the swing team because... Orlando? Yeah, sorry. Because I have, you know, I'd have these guys in the same tier and most of my tiers, I probably have, you know, three guys that are upside guys and three guys that are floor guys with Maladon clearly being 
the um, the upside guy and Rillard being the floor guy. But yeah, for example, a team like when you're looking at Orlando, I, I really don't know because you know, like I said, once you reach like say Philadelphia, I think that that's where I'm really starting to consider Rillard and I. Yeah, I think a lot of our difference kind of comes in the value that we're placing in the ability to uh, shoot off the dribble and create that space for yourself. And, you know, I definitely did have, for example, say like a, I mean, he's smaller, but like a Trey Burke hop in my mind when, when thinking of Riller trying not to overvalue him here because there is probably like an okay amount of point guards that can do it but I think that Riddler will be able to do it and be efficient um and again yeah I mean he's gonna have to prove that against higher level of competition I don't like either one of these guys better than uh Cole Anthony Maxi, Kyra Lewis or the obvious guys that are above that as well um probably not Tyrell Terry either I don't know that one's kind of debatable I guess um but yeah I, I mean I think that we're we're not too far off here and it was interesting I, I looked this up as we were talking uh Maladon in Vecini's mock draft went um I lost it for one second here went 24th right and Grant Riller went 46th I was shocked to see Riller 46. That's insane. He on on Bassini's big board. He has Maladon 25, Riller 26, and it was just so. It, I mean, it's that age. It's the age for sure. That and, and probably competition level, but like 40. What did I say 46 for Riller in in the mock. That's insane. Like I think that Riller really could be really good value if he's actually like again. Okay. 35, Sacramento, both these guys are there. It It's Maladon, right? No questions, Maladon. Yeah, yeah. Sacramento's the upside. So, so, yeah, Sacramento is completely got to go upside. Um, and then, yeah, like Philly is probably completely, like, going floor. I mean, not completely, but close enough, right? At this point, they're panicking. Right. Say the Lakers at 28, really? Lakers are, sure. yeah, Lakers might be the most in on right now. Like, they might, they might be the most, like, uh, short-term team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting um, if you look at, uh, I was looking at um, the Ringer as well. So these are like the, these are like the quote-unquote expert. I think, you know, I think there's less of a quote probably on uh, Messini because he is probably the most right about mock stuff over the years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just looking at KOC as well, He on his, this is his big board. He has Maladon is it 27, 27 and Riller 42. So I – and he's not – and Riller's not even on his mock. So – while, while Maladon's in the first round. So, like – this is the only thing I'll caution you against. I think that I think that you might be getting close to closer to being caught in the draft Twitter echo chamber on guys like Poku. Like and, and Poku is becoming legitimate even among experts. But I I worry about 
us getting too lost in it because draft Twitter do be wilding from time to <laughs> they, time. They do. They do. And Riller is, like, their absolute guy. Well, not everybody, but, like, it, like draft Twitter is, like, wants you to believe that Grant Riller is, like, a lottery pick. Right. Right. Which I'm definitely not buying lottery. Um, but, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I definitely am admittedly guilty of that at times. Um, especially being new to it and guys that come in and give me all these points. I'm like, yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, so, yeah, I, I get you. But, again, I, I don't think I'm all too crazy high on him. I think that, you know, we're not getting too far from reaching a pretty big tier, really, um, of a lot of different guys. Like, I should also clarify in Vicini's, he mentions that, you know, for example, like a guy, the quote is someone like Nico Mannion could go early 20s or fall all the way to the 40s. So the same could be same for Riddler and a couple other guys. And I think that's kind of a point you're reaching where, again, it, it just really depends the team that's drafting. And, like, again, like I, the reason I say Philadelphia, L.A., the Lakers, like it's two teams that just clearly need a scoring point guard, you know, someone that can create the shot on their own. So I guess that in the right situation that there's a value for Riller. Um, but, yeah, it's not. And, and again, like, uh, there is going to be guys in free agency that can somewhat fill that. Um, but the idea, obviously, being that you keep Riller for um, a longer amount of time on a more team-friendly deal. So, yeah, I don't think I'm all too crazy on him. I see where you're coming from here. But, yeah, I mean, 19-ish, 18 I don't. I think that. I think that I'm thinking there's a more of an upside on Riller. I don't think it's crazy, but I think I buy it a little bit more than you do, is all. And my final point on them is that you gotta. We gotta ultimately at the end of the day, and like this is the thing that I has been a revelation for me, and maybe I should have figured it out earlier. But you gotta remember what the draft is. You can go sign a 24-year-old microwave point guard. Um, you can't go. You can't go sign a Teo Maladon. You have to draft him. Uh, you can't. Not, you cannot go sign an 18-year-old uh, that's playing high-level Euroleague basketball facilitating point guard, combo guard with a 6'9 wingspan and a high IQ. He's not on the free agent market. So that's my only final thought on why I would have not on higher than Riller for an NBA draft. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I definitely get that point. Um, Yeah, I would say, you know, again, it kind of depends on the team you're talking about a little bit here and what point of the draft, but I definitely see – where you're coming from here. I don't think we're all too far off on either one of these. It'll be interesting when we get even more names thrown in here. And, uh, I mean, speaking of, is there any, like, two guys that stand out to you as the ones you want to go to next? Um, no, I, I'm, I'm surprised and exhausted about how, why we just talked about Grant Riller and him out <laughs> on for 90 minutes. Um, I mean, I guess the only ones that, like, okay, so there's one that I really want to get to eventually for a similar conversation, and it's Desmond Bain, because hmm. Draft Twitter is, like, absolutely on the dude's nutsack. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, and I would like to I would like to figure out if I for sure, because I want to flame Draft Twitter for this, um, and I don't know if I should or not. 
another guy that I think would be worthwhile based on kind of continuing this conversation and maybe making it shorter would be Nico Mannion. I think he's just – I want to figure out what this dude's about because he was like a top ten guy coming into this year and now could fall out of the first round. Um, there's just a ton of point guards here I would love to kind of sort through yeah. together. I, so, yeah. That's not bad. I also think it, you know, we'll probably just end up figuring this out off off uh, off air, but at like not too far, I think that, you know, Bay and Woodward are probably the last two, three and D guys yeah. for a good while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll figure it I, out. I actually wrote that, literally wrote that in a column for the bees. Like if you want a defensive wing, you better take one of those two guys because after them, there aren't any. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, the guys before them are probably Bay Williams and, like, if you want to throw Neesmith in there sort of thing. Yeah, so for the next, like, two – I don't know if we're going to do another draft episode next, but uh, when we get to them, I would say Bay and Woodard, Woodard is a great one. And then another one could be, like, uh, Malachi Flynn and Nico Mannion. Ooh, I like it. I like it. All right, well, we'll figure out the exact order of those two. Um, but probably something along those lines, and we're definitely going to keep this going. I know you're super interested in, in knowing a lot of these guys for the draft that just seemingly gets getting pushed back, keeps getting pushed back. Um, and I'm glad to be doing this too. So we're definitely going to keep draft profiles coming. And, yeah, the guys at the Kings Herald have been doing a great job uh, covering draft guys as well and also diving into all of the GM potential candidates that Sacramento is looking to speak with. That just came out recently as well as constant great content um, all revolving around the Sacramento Kings. So definitely check out kingsherald.com and support the Patreon um, for independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Falls Podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.